Please remain standing as you're able. We're in a long line of people who anticipated the coming of the Messiah. But we, who are Christians, believe that the Messiah has come and will come again. But let us stand with those who have gone before us, the people of the Jews, and recite together the Shema as they would have when they came before the Scripture of God. We'll do a bit in Hebrew, invite you to follow me, then we'll do it all together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The scripture is from the last of the prophets, Malachi, the third chapter, and these are God's words through the prophet Malachi. Behold, I will send a messenger who will prepare the way for me. The Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you will desire will come, says the Lord God Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For the Lord is a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. And he will sit as a refiner of and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and he will refine them like silver and gold. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable as in days gone by as in former years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Many years ago, we lived in uh, a small uh, rock, two-story house. And uh, we had two children at the time, and one of our children had uh, been potty trained, but he was backsliding a bit. And we had company over, and we heard the call from upstairs to us, come up here. And we responded, we have company. Come up here, he said again. We have company. Come, he said more urgently. And my wife responded, you better not have had an accident. And it was quiet for a moment, and then we heard, Don't come. I think about that when I think about the people who lived in uh, Jerusalem in the days of Malachi the prophet. They've been calling out to God, come, come, come make everything right. Come pay attention to us. Our temple is not anywhere near its former glory. We're seated in the backwoods of the Persian Empire, even though in Jerusalem no one respects us. We have no authority, no power. Come and make it right. Come show up and visit us. And we hear God's response say, well, all right, but I'm going to check on your accidents. All right, but when I come, I'm going to come as a refiner's fire and as a purifier as, well, like a launderer's soap. It's like a lye which you scrub and scrub until it is worn clean. I will come, but I will come with judgment. And I wonder what their response was to that. I think about that when we're in the season of the year, Advent, because we think about not only the Lord's coming, but many of us are Christians, think about the Lord's second coming. And it's so popular among many places today to call on Jesus to come back. And in calling on Jesus to come back, we assume that Jesus is going to fix everything. Terrorism, out of hand, come Lord Jesus. Uh, The economy not doing well, come Lord Jesus. 
Are the politicians not in office that we want? Come, Lord Jesus. Prayer not in school. Come, Lord Jesus. You can pick the litany that people have, and they, they call Jesus assuming he'll come and set it all the way they want it. But we're reminded in the scriptures and the prophets that when you call on the Lord to come, they understood that the day of the Lord was first a day of judgment. And the judgment was going to start with the people of God. When God comes, basically, God's going to clean house and God's going to start with the houses of God's people. I almost think I hear them whispering, don't come. Because God said, I'm going to come. And the first people I'm going to take care of are the Levites. You know what a Levite is? Levite's a pastor, really. Levite's a leader of God's people. And God says in the book of Malachi, I've got some real problems with my leaders. I have some problems. They are behaving uh, half-heartedly. Now when it's time for the sacrifice, they don't even look for a decent animal to sacrifice. They sacrifice the blind, the lame, the animals nobody else wants. And they bring it to the temple and says, here, God, this is for you. It's a half-hearted effort. Do you know by the days of Jesus, they had to cancel the late temple service uh, on the Sabbath because all the priests were down at the arena watching the fights, the gladiator fights. That's how half-hearted things would become. And then God said this, I've got a problem with them because they're half-hearted. Secondly, they don't even have faith in me. They don't even believe in what they're doing anymore. Malachi says basically they offer it without hope. You know, they go through the rituals, but they really don't think the rituals are going to make any difference at all. They, don't, they call on God, but they don't really anticipate that God will ever show. And then finally God says, I've got a, char- I've got a, a character issue among my priests. They are so bad, they're leading my people further away from me. So God says, I'm coming all right. And I'm going to deal with them first. And then God says, and then I'm going to deal with the people who claim to believe in me. And God, according to Malachi, has got three major areas of problems with the people who claim to believe in God. The first one is this. They're acting, he said, unfaithfully. They're worshiping all sorts of gods along with the one true God. It's almost like they have a smorgasbord or a cafeteria line. They pick a little from this God, a little from that God. Oh, something from this religion over here. And they wrap it all up. In the name of the, of the one true God. God says, that's idolatry. I, I have a problem with that. I have a problem, he said, that you men divorce your wives so easily, so casually in your relationship. And God utters those famous words, I hate it. I hate it, he says. And then God says, I got a problem with your unfaithfulness and that you're robbing me. I'm asking you to bring a tithe and you're not bringing it, Satan. Uh, says God. You know, I've seen a lot of sermons on the second coming of Jesus and on Revelation and the rapture, and I've never heard any pastor suggest that when Jesus comes back, the first thing he's going to ask for is his 10%. Never heard that. We never think that that might still be an issue with God. So God's first complaint is the people aren't faithful. The second complaint God has is the people have given up hope. The people ask, according to Malachi chapter 1, how do you love me, God? In other words, prove it. I don't think you do. They've just given up hope and the, and the belief that they're loved by God. And then finally God says, I've got a third problem with my people, and that's that they allow social injustice to go on. They don't love others. They don't love widows. They don't love orphans. And they don't love the poor, says God. I've got issues with that, and I'm coming. I'm coming. And I'm coming with judgment. 
come, they were yelling out. And I think the prophet said, okay, but if I come, you better not have had an accident. And they've had many. So where does that leave us today in the 21st century? Should we meekly say, don't come? Or do we call confidently on our Lord to return? Well, I believe we do ask for Jesus' return. But let me give you just a few things I think that are really biblical to keep in mind. If you're going to ask Jesus to come back, and I believe you should, and we say we believe that he's coming back, you need to know these three things. The first one is this. When John showed up in, in, uh, in fulfillment, uh, not only of Malachi's prophecy, but of the prophecy that Zechariah received in the temple, uh, when, uh, when uh, John the Baptist was conce- would be conceived, John the Baptist came as one who would prepare the way, and the way he prepared is by telling people, repent. In other words, you're having company, clean up your house. Clean up your heart. He said, get ready. You don't get ready so that Jesus will come. You get ready because you know he's coming. And you want him to find a place at the table set and prepared for him. I know in my life, one of the things I have to do often uh, is think about what John called us on us to do, repentance. Now, repentance, you probably know in, in Greek, means turn around. Uh, the sense also in, in Hebrew, as I understand it, is a change of direction, but it also has the nuance of a change that you start in the right direction, that you're part of a process. In other words, John never thought repentance was a once and for all thing. John assumed that often in our life we would have to repent. And weekly I have to look in the mirror and ask myself this question, am I living the life that I'm asking you to live? Am I doing it? And where I'm not, and there are places, then I have to repent and start again and get going in the right direction. And I'm probably not going to get there before Jesus comes back, but at least he's going to find me going in the right direction. And it starts with the pastors. But it goes down to other leaders, too. Our annual church meeting is tomorrow night, and and you're all invited. One of the things I'm going to let you know that we're going to do for 2010 is we're going to ask the leaders, the official leaders of our church, to make some very fundamental and basic commitments to living life as God would call us to live. You need to know that they're getting their house ready. Second thing I would tell you is anytime you call on Jesus to come and fix something, you need to ask yourself this question. How am I contributing to the solution? How am I a part of, of the prayer that I want answered? James put it this way in the New Testament. James said, you can't just say to somebody, stay warm, be well fed. You can't just wish things and pray things like that. But you have to, have to ask yourself, what am I doing to help somebody stay warm? What am I doing to help them be well-fed? If I'm going to ask Jesus to come and deal with those issues, I have to say, how am I helping Jesus in dealing with these issues? You're probably like me. You're probably concerned about the children in Africa. I'm concerned that during my sermon this morning, 30 children will die of malaria, which is completely preventable. But they'll die. Jesus, fix it. Wipe out malaria. Solve that. If I'm going to ask for that, I better ask myself, and what am I doing? So one of the things that you do with me every uh, month when we have communion is, is for $10, we buy a mosquito net, which will save the life of a child. Or maybe you're calling out, Jesus, Jesus, fix my spouse. She's going the wrong way. He doesn't pay attention to me. 
And that's all right to pray that, but what are we doing? What am I doing for my spouse? What am I doing to help her in her life? If I'm going to pray for something, I better check at what I am doing to be a part of the very thing I'm asking for. And then finally this word. If you're going to pray for Jesus to come back and you're going to repent, you're going to recognize that your house isn't exactly in order, that you've had some accidents, that, that things aren't completely clean. But remember this. One of the major problems that God had with God's people is that they didn't believe that God loved them. So if you're going to look around for what is not quite right with your life, you better look around knowing that no matter what is not quite right with your life, that God loves you completely nonetheless. The early church mothers and fathers put it this way. Our sins are like pebbles. And there's a bunch of them. But God's love is like the ocean. So much greater. Just overwhelms the mistakes that we made. Our houses aren't clean. But he comes to visit not because our houses are clean. He comes to visit because he loves us. 450 years or so after Malachi, John the Baptist will come and then Jesus will come. And he'll come to the temple and what does he do immediately? He cleans it out. He executes judgment, but he's not finished. He comes back later in the week and lets them arrest him and lets them hang him on a cross because he loves us. For God... Judgment is always a part of God's love. He wants better for us and better for the world. But judgment is only a very small part of the love he has for all of us.